0: It shall not be death, but a sleep of a hundred years into which the princess will fall. This is The The Grimcast.
1: Grimcast.
0: Hey, welcome back to The Grimcast, where we take you through each episode of the hit NBC show, Grim.
1: Today, we are talking about the season one finale, Woman in Black.
0: Can you believe we are here with the season one finale? Do you remember us doing this in our closets during COVID, just, like, messing around with Claire and, like, recording on our, basically, iPhones? And now we're a produced
1: podcast, finishing our first season.
0: feels very nice.
1: Poor Claire was working so hard and teaching herself how to edit it and everything, too. And we truly were basically just recording off of Zoom. But, you know, it's a lot of work. We worked hard. We had a couple done, and then they're like, yeah, so you guys are going to have to do it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just do it again and better. Faster and better. You know, when we did Grimm, when we first got picked up, it was just for 13 episodes. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So it was just 13 mm. episode order. And then once we started airing, we were doing pretty well. You know, Friday night at 9 time slot. It was the old X-Files time slot. We premiered, I want to say, against like Game 7 of the World Series or something was no, on that day. True. And we true, did really well in spite of that. And it always sort of felt a little bit, the season that we were picked up, which is fall 2011, like just a tiny bit of we don't really know what to do with this sort of strange, weird sci-fi fantasy genre show. So we're going to focus more on the ones that make more sense to us. And we just kept plugging away. You know what, though? That's the way I
0: like it. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. Don't look at me. We're fine. We're just like
1: over here quietly kicking ass and like... Not making a big thing of it. Yeah. And that's what we did. And so then at some point, I don't recall how far into it, but at some point, you know, after some episodes had aired, they went ahead and ordered what's called a back nine, which it used to usually be for a one hour drama or something, or the standard network was usually about 20 to 24 episodes a season, usually 22. So we got our back nine and then the writers just kept writing. So here we are at episode 22, season one. Before we start launching into like fan questions in the episode, how are you? What's going on in your world? Once again, I find myself recording all over again in my daughter's playroom. You know what? Maybe this is just where I'm going to record now. The acoustics actually sound kind of great, although it is a little jarring. I'm staring at like a fake hot dog right now and a fake slab of hamburger meat because I'm two feet away from her little kitchen set. And I'm also staring at three plastic babies. (laughs) I as a child and still do, I still prefer
0: to sleep on my stomach. So am I. I'm a stomach sleeper too. I far prefer it, but now I force myself to sleep on my back. I can't do it. Can't fall asleep. Have to be on my tongue. I know, it's hard. I'm training myself It's getting easier, but I'm comfortable on my tummy. So around Vivian's age, probably like my mom walked in and I loved my dolls, and all my dolls were face down on the ground Mm -hmm. with like little blankies up, basically covering half their head. She's like, it looked like a cult gone wrong, you know, (laughs) like really dark times. Like, (laughs) and I'm just like, and now we will try. And she just shut the door quietly. Um, Yeah, it was a little spookier. I was kind of a you know, you grew up everywhere. You grew up overseas. Yeah. And we're in different schools. You had your sister and you guys are pretty close in age. But like, did you have a lot of friends growing up? Did you play alone
1: a lot? No, I did only because we were overseas. You know, when we lived in Uruguay, for example, we went to a little Scottish school. And then when we lived in Argentina, we were at a school called Northlands. And it was a lot of international kids. But the parents that were friends would get together every single weekend. So I had a couple little buddies in school. I remember this little boy named Andrew, who I love, at St. Andrews in Uruguay. And he always wore a little Superman shirt, which is my first memory of Superman. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Yeah. And I had buddies. But, you know, at that age, you know, Vivi has a best friend who she sees at the park all the time. And they have play dates at each other's houses sometimes. But, you know, are they going to know each other in 10 years? Who knows? I mean, it's different for you. Elena is only two and a half years older than me, so we did play a lot. Yeah. But, you know, we were aggressive. We were very aggressive. Really? How so? Just physically aggressive. My sister and I would just play hard.
0: I was alone. Lonely Brie, all alone. Because my siblings, I have three brothers, and the one below me is seven and a half years younger. Then it's like 14 and a half, and then my youngest brother is 18 years younger than me. But I was either babysitting my brother, Kale, or alone. We also moved around a lot. I remember vividly being at some babysitter's house and the babysitter was inside with my brother, who was like a baby. And, you know, I grew up in Northern California, like really just very suburban, lovely Northern California simplicity. But I remember desperate for a friend, desperate for a play date and I loved my Barbies which I've already now shared, I love my dolls and I remember sitting on the curb playing with my Barbies in the gutter <laughs> I love to put my Barbies in the real world. So, like, I'd put them in peril. <laughs> like, I'd put them in the gutter. I'd put them hanging from a tree, you know? I still, like, am tickled by dolls in the real world. But then my... Because I grew up, you know, child of the 80s. So, there was a lot of messaging of, like, stranger danger and kids on milk cartons and, like, fear, fear, fear. And I remember I was desperate enough for a friend but smart enough not to get kidnapped. So, I would go round to houses. I would knock on a door run to the sidewalk. The person would open the door and I'd be like, do you have any kids I can play with? <laughs> and I would scream it from the sidewalk just in case I had to book it down the street in case they were like going to kidnap me. But that like, these are strong memories. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, getting off topic here, but we made it guys. We're flipping at 122 y'all, but I just want to put it out there. Did you catch the 122 apartment number? These are little Easter eggs, guys, and it's pretty consistent. We couldn't nail it every episode, but if you're paying attention, there's usually most episodes, either an apartment number or a hotel room number, that is the number of the episode that we are filming and you are watching.
1: Mm -hmm. They love doing little things like that. That was Nathaniel Adams' hotel room, and then I think that was the first time the season and episode number were referenced together? You think that was the first one? I think so, yeah. And then Akira Kimura's motel room number, 113, was a reference to the episode number for Three Coins in a Fuchsbau, the episode in which the coins of Zacinthos first appeared. So there's always little nuggets and Easter eggs like this. I love that stuff. Anyway, okay. We have so much to talk about.
0: This is a freaking doozy. This like delivers some goldy gold at the end of everything you've been just waiting for to happen. But before we get into all that stuff, let's
1: do some fan questions. Yeah.
0: I am wondering, the key was such a huge part of season one. It's obviously a huge part going throughout the show, but it was such a huge mystery in season one. And I'm wondering if you guys as cast members knew where the keys were going to take you at the end of the show, or if it's something you found out in season five when it all came about.
1: Well, we didn't know a lot. We were kind of discovering along with you. I think the showrunners were discovering, or they would go back and watch something and be like, ooh, let's tie this in, in a way that they hadn't even necessarily considered. But I don't recall knowing where they were going to lead. There was also little things that I think at some point in the beginning we thought were going to be a huge storyline and they got dropped for one reason or another. But this is also the
0: nature of network 22-episode long-running series such as Grimm. Like, the formats change now that we're very conditioned to watch streaming limited series where it's almost like a feature. Those scripts are, for the most part, pre-written. You know, like, you know what's going on for the entirety of the season in those like more limited series. But you know, old school network TV, like what we were doing with Grimm. I mean, this is just how it was. You don't know. You have a Bible to start. You know, and different showrunners are different. Like I know Shonda Rhimes runs her shows differently where like she's very detailed in the top. But like, you know, mostly you're just discovering the show while you're creating it, you know? And so to have a long answer to a very nice short question, we did not know. So when that moment came in season five, I mean, I remember actually fanning out like when I read that. When we finally got to know where we were going with the keys, which I won't spoil now, I was pretty excited. I would like to know, if the show had continued, where would you like to have seen your characters go or develop? I certainly would like to see how uh, Monroe and Rosalie
1: dealt with their kids. Thank you so much. That's a really good question you know what, my answer is always going to change on this depending on what day of the week it is and everything. Right now, the first thing that jumped in my mind was I had so much fun working with Jacqueline Daboni towards the end of the series when it was just Eve and Trouble. And sometimes I feel like, oh, they should have gone off and just started traveling the world together. In In leather. Yeah, in black leather. Yeah, but I also, everybody wants to have seen Monroe and Rosalie's babies, and that would have been really cute. That deserved its own (laughs) spinoff. I say so.
0: I would love to know what Monroe and Rosalie named their triplets. Oh, the little triplets! What would they be named? Hmm, maybe like Gloustrike, <laughs> Slong Slinker,
1: and Bob Bob. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, you know, Rosalie's great uncle and she got to pick one of them. She got to name one of them. (laughs) Totally. You know that's what it was. That's so good. Monroe getting all these obscure
0: generational names and then Rosalie's like, "Mm, Frank, Bob, (laughs) Alan.
1: (laughs) To leave us a message, follow the link in the show notes. Today we are talking about season 1 episode 22 Woman in Black.
0: As Nick delves deeper into his life as a grim, a trail of grotesque murders reignites the search for the elusive gold coins. The arrival of a mysterious woman in black begins to get in the way of Nick and Hank's investigation as an extra precautions have to be taken to ensure their safety. Meanwhile, Nick's ability to keep his true nature secret from Juliet comes to a tipping point. I'm going to miss my dramatic read of episode synopsis for this season.
1: (laughs) So the opening quote and some loose plot are from the fairy tale, Ryer Rose. This is also one of the, I can't recall them doing it before, where they were using footage from other episodes. They used footage this episode from the pilot, from Game Ogre, Three Coins in a Fuchs Bow. Oh, yeah. This was like a who's who, what's what. Lots and lots of flashbacks. Plumed Serpent and also Big Feet. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we had our
0: VIPs, Noberta Barba directed this finale as he did for pretty much pretty much all of them through season five yeah through season five yeah and then jim and david wrote this episode per usual. the creator is going to write that finale and we have our mega 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 mic drop guest star in mary elizabeth mastrantonio
1: who is phenomenal her breakout role was in scarface it's a little little tiny Mm, film you you may have heard of just like a tiny little independent film she was also in the color of money and she was also by the way academy award nominee for best supporting actress for the color of money and let's see what else nominated for a tony award for best actress in a musical for man of la mancha i was freaking out When I knew she was coming just because I was a huge fan of Robin Hood, The Prince of Thieves. Oh. And I just thought she was just so beautiful. So I remember being really excited.
0: Yeah, she was made Marion in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I forgot about that movie. And honestly, like, I flippin' bought it. Like, she looked B.A., stunts. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, nimble, Mm -hmm. savage, Looks great in a hoodie. Like, that's where you're like, oh, you're a very trained, talented actress. And thank you. And I believe everything you're doing. I believe everything you're doing. She barely said anything in this episode. I mean, I don't want to jump all the way in. But, man, I actually had to re—I just watched it this morning, per usual. And I had to rewind that last moment, like, three times because it was so good. So out of nowhere really a surprise did not see
1: it coming did you no i mean it's a, you know it's also it's a season finale it's got to be good you know they get bigger budgets for this stuff they do they definitely got a bigger budget on that stunt yeah that was a pretty legit stunt fight scene i remember when she first walked into the hair and makeup trailer i just had this moment where I was thinking, I want to age like her. I know. She just was aging so beautifully and gracefully. Had never done anything weird to her face yeah. ever. It was so obvious. And everyone, all the guys, like we we're all like, God, she's a knockout. But just obviously really embracing where she was in her life and wasn't trying to be anything other than who she was. And she was just so stunning. Yeah. And she's cool. The best. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you're like a legend and there are reasons for these. Yeah. So this is where Kelly Burkhart, Nick's mom, is revealed to be alive, which is huge. It's huge. I mean, honestly, what a great way to end a season. It's so good. You know, it's when she said Nikki, I was like, oh, David really handled this
0: episode beautifully. Like I... Also replayed the scene where he's at the door and you can see it on his face. He decides to come clean to you. Mm -hmm. It was officially too much. And the look on his face, you could see the thought. And basically from that to the end, I mean, in the last episode, we were goofing that like Nick was basically gaslighting everybody loves. But this one, he was not. This one, he was clearly tormented and had to make a decision and it was like whoa it's happening too fast and then you like goes to the trailer and then we got the rain you looked hot as shit in the rain you're like I'm so sad I'm confused but I also look really beautiful in the rain and then you go into the trailer and you get upset because your lover is like losing his mind and then they get to Moreau's house and then you like pass out I mean like I couldn't handle it like I was like really getting worked up and I <laughs> was into it I was into it.
1: I was so excited, too. And they're like, hey, so he's going to tell you. I'm like, great. This is so exciting going forward. And like, oh, no. And then you're going to forget everything. And then you're going to have amnesia. So I did know that going forward into season two, she was going to not remember anything. So I'm like, wait, but I want to know. I want I wanna keep knowing.
0: I know. I know. Do you remember that? Um now that we're here and um, Juliet is in a coma, sleeping, she's sleeping beauty. Remember that photo shoot we did by the train tracks? Yes. It was the season two. Season two poster. Well, it wasn't like a it wasn't like on billboards, it was like the promotional image.
1: Yeah, it was a big deal. We had a bunch of people fly into Portland. Yeah. The main image from that ended up being me in the coffin with my eyes closed and David kind of hanging over this coffin.
0: Maybe you did not experience this because you were laying down asleep. But like, well, first of all, we were like by the train tracks under an overpass in Portland. Do you remember this? Like, oh, this was oh, so yeah. random. It was really random. And you were laying down. I frankly actually did not really understand this imagery. I'm going to be truthful here. I'm going to like come clean. I did not really get it when we were doing it.
1: But I just sort of did it. Everyone should look up the season two posters for Grimm. There's one that they didn't really use. I sign it a fair amount at conventions, actually. So some people have still found it, of of Julia and Nick holding hands, standing in the middle of the train tracks, just kind of looking down in a long lens. Did you have like a hospital gown on? Oh, no, did you have a pretty gown? That was another one. So I probably took three or four big wardrobe changes for this photo shoot. There was one where I was wearing a kind of cute white dress, a leather jacket. And that's the one where David and I were holding hands. Just standing in the middle of the train tracks. And then there was another one where I was wearing like basically a brown paper bag and had to climb onto some rocks with my bare feet. I remember you in like a burlap sack. Yeah, it was a burlap sack. And then I had the main image that you see most of is me in this coffin. But it was so uncomfortable because the coffin had to be tilted in a way so that you could see my face. So I was the whole time basically clenching my butt, clenching my abs, (laughs) clenching my everything so I wouldn't roll off of it. And then, you know, there were some shots of just me and David and then some shots where you guys sort of folded in and then you were kind of by this tree in the back. It was weird. Yeah, it was a little
0: weird. I mean, but hey, you know, it was like meta, like whatever. I'm into experiments. Like there was messaging going on. I don't know why that is such a clear memory. Anyway, so clearly we were going into a Sleeping Beauty theme. Oh, I have a question for you, Bitsy. Was that written in that scene to be so overwhelmed by Nick's confession in the trailer? Was that scripted or was like a choice you made? Because it was really interesting to be like, I read a lot of what was going on in your face, like betrayal, hurt, anger, sadness, almost like you guys were finally on the other side of that very awkward non-proposal, you know? And you guys were like finally close together in your relationship. And then, you know, he drops this insanity on you. Like, was that in the script or was that just something actress Bitsy built?
1: I don't recall it being in the script. I do know that when I very first auditioned there was a scene that was just kind of similar vibe like they wanted to see can you handle being told this completely unfathomable secret yeah, how are you going to react? Are you going to assume your partner is losing their mind? Are you going to react with empathy? Are you going to just automatically believe them? Like you have to be able to play the gamut of emotions. And that's all I can't recall if it was scripted or not. But you know, as you're filming going on and on, by this point, you actually have more of you know, as actors, we do a backstory and a history for our characters, no matter what. But then as time goes on, you're actually living this experience as a character.
0: Yeah. So did you feel at this point, you know, because I hear you like that just takes time and you can't really shortcut that. That's just Time in a role and with the world? Like, did you feel clearly? I mean, your work was really beautiful at this point in the series, but like, it felt like you really had inhabited Juliet obviously, at this point. Like, it felt very natural. And even just, like, the behavior. You know, here's my other question. I mean, I know this answer because I was there. I mean, you and David weren't together. No, we weren't dating. We weren't close to dating by this point. We weren't anywhere close to dating. But, you know, it was nice to see your trust in each other as friends and castmates. Like, you start to see... The fruits of bonding. Right. When you're playing romantic leads together on something.
1: Yeah. And we did. We got along well. And I don't know how many people know this, but David and I had done a movie together about six months before we both booked Grimm opposite each other. It was a movie that I co-produced called Carolyn and Jackie. There were two female leads and I was one of the sisters and lovely actress Marguerite Moreau was the other one. And then David was cast to play my character's boyfriend in the film. So if you want to see a younger Bitsy and David playing romantic interests, you can watch this movie. But anyway, so he and I knew each other. And so we worked together and we worked well together. And then what happened was it was a pilot season of 2011, you know, maybe February. And... I was testing for pilots and he had a pilot test for something for Fox that was, I think, the week after that my lawyer had just started hammering negotiations for. And I was on deadline seeing, okay, who's booking what? This is exciting. And I was like, oh, my God, David booked the lead in the pilot. Let me text him. Congratulations. And he writes me back immediately. And he goes, you know, you are perfect for the role of my girlfriend in this show. And little did I know, because David had tested a couple times to play my boyfriend and other TV shows, he had had a little bit of a crush on me for a very long time because I kind of kept coming into his world. And he remembers meeting me in the lobby when I was 25 years old of quarter life. And I had booked the series lead on this little, you know, internet show. And then it went to NBC, was short-lived. And I was reading with actors and he remembered seeing me and was like, That girl's cute. (laughs) And then, you know, three years after that, didn't see me, but he was testing to play my boyfriend in this HBO pilot. So we were circling each other weirdly, although we did not romantically really fall for each other until much later. But... Yeah, I think the chemistry was there and we had worked well together and we'd worked, you know, in heat and, you know, it was a low budget indie that we had done together and we made it. And so definitely the rapport was there. I remember I would always give him relationship advice. And, you know, at one point he was going through a breakup and I bought him this like book about breakups and I slipped it under his apartment door. and I was like, I hope this helps you. <laughs> oh my God, actually felt kind of bad
0: for Nick and Juliet because it was so loving. And then you just know what's coming. And,
1: and then. And shows up at my veterinary clinic with this cat. Oh, my God. So
0: I worked with that cat. That was a real cat. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think there were Magique. a couple. Yeah. No, there were several magiques. Yeah. Several magiques. Yeah. One was a little heftier than the other. Obviously, I talk a lot about hair envy. Claire Coffee has the most beautiful head of hair. And I talk about, you know, Bitsy's like color and spursy. Like, I'm really into hair. And I got to say, my hair, again, is looking very good in this episode just like it with the sebastian episode it's looking very good and i also noticed it's like oh right because this was when i knew i was pregnant now at this point oh that's also why my hormones were like on fleek at this point like it's like the good time of being like i looked really good and then i just get more bloated and bloated and bloated as season two goes on but i was in the good point of my early pregnancy so i noticed that but i also noticed it was like oh get ready Going to be a lot of drapey sweaters coming up, (laughs) everybody. A lot of drapey side sweaters. The cardigan, because i had a pretty good little pot belly at this point, you know. Little baby Dean in my potty. But yeah, the drapey sweaters are about to come. About to go really hard on the drapey sweaters. And then we have that cat. And I kind of forgot that that scene was in the finale. I was weird. I completely forgot that I was even in this episode until I showed up. I was like, oh, hey, there I am. But that cat was difficult i mean that was yeah. a difficult cat it was like we had to work around the cat the cat was not behaving it was not behaving Majik was not behaving Majik one Majik two Majik three no
1: yeah but none of the substitutions were working well and then, of course, like, I just had so much fun doing the scene with Nick when he's like, you have to go to that emergency room. She's like, what is wrong with you? I am a veterinarian. Are you insane? Like, I've been scratched by cats a million times. Are you kidding me? You know, because that's exactly love, how you would react. But that is also like how Bitsy would react to David. Like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I love any time that you're like, no, no, that's not happening. Yeah. No. no. That does not make sense. It is not rational. I am not participating in your cockamamie idea. Cockamamie. What else? How about, oh, another fun fact. Let's
0: talk about like the Kimura, the assassin. Brian T. Brian T. Ooh, so handsome. So handsome. Played that so well. But how about poor Patty dead on the ground? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Patty. That made me laugh. Sasha going like... Oh, Patty. I was like, <laughs> did, did she have a name or did Sasha just like give her a name? I have no idea. Oh, Patty. Anyways, Patty had been dead for a while. But that building that the captain lives in was a newer building built down in the Pearl closer to... It's like a block away from where most of us lived. Yeah. Yeah, I looked to buy something or rent something in that building. But that is a building that Reggie Lee lived in. For basically, once it was built, he moved in and then stayed there for the
1: duration of... He left wherever you guys all live, the clubhouse. What was that called? We lived in the Wyatt. The Wyatt. Yeah. The Wyatt was insane, which, you know, we could talk about it now that nobody lives there anymore. But I remember when I first moved to Portland in July of 2011, and I'm, like, standing outside the Wyatt waiting for my little Prius to be delivered all packed up because I had shipped it up. But uh, Fred Armisen walked by, who is now a friend, and I'm like, wait, what? And then next thing you know, I'm in the elevator, and Timothy Hutton was in the elevator— all these actors were living in the white i'm like i've seen more actors in the last 24 hours than i did you know in a year in la it was bizarre it just was you know a building that i think was convenient and easy for everyone and it was definitely odd and actually yeah reggie was living in the building at first I feel like Russell might have been maybe for a tiny bit amount. I don't remember. Burt was. You know that Silas was renting from Velo, Milo. Ventimiglia. Ventimiglia. For a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, until he bought a house. So funny. Yeah. Because I think Milo's from, I want to say he's either from Portland or he has a lot of family in Portland. He's a really nice guy, by the way. You're right. So nice. But a lot of us were in the Wyatt. And then eventually, I remember I started out on the eighth floor and David was on the 14th floor. And then eventually, and who knows? I mean, proximity does help. At some point in time, I moved to the ninth floor and then David ended up on the ninth floor, and I think we were literally one apartment away from each other down the hall. Muy convenient. Very convenient. Until I bought my house in Irvington, which I don't have anymore in northeast Portland. We were just right down the hall from each other. Oh, yeah. But yeah, all the shots of the apartment with Renard, I'm like, oh, I know that. I just was thinking of Henry, to be honest, because I used to take him to that dog park. Yes. Right underneath it. I know. That was a great nook over there. I love that park
0: too for the kids. Anyway, yeah, fun fact: Reggie lived there. And other little fun facts. Oh, okay. Let's talk about Hank. Like, not okay. Hank is like not okay in this episode. How about Hank with like four guns in his apartment? I know. Feels so bad for Hank. Or Hank, like, really having a breakdown. Like a mental breakdown. Like yeah. a mental breakdown. He's been through a lot. Yeah. Who wouldn't under the circumstances? Yeah. Yeah, I felt bad for Hank. We're going to see more of that next season Yeah,
1: contending with that truth. I have a question for you, Breek. When you started out on the show, I guess it was episode 15, season one. Mm-hmm. You started out as a recurring. At what point did you find out they were asking you back as a series regular for season two? Did you know by now? No. You hadn't known yet? No, I left like, thanks guys. Been great, you know? No, but like back in LA, did you have any idea they were going to ask you back at this point? You know, because we finished... Oof. I mean, really, I felt so bad for David. This time, season one, I want to say we wrapped, like, the end of May 2012, and we started season two, like, the beginning of July 2012. Like, he barely, he barely had time. So I guess my question is, where were you? At what point were you told they wanted you back, and in a greater capacity? I mean, I wasn't like,
0: I mean, obviously, with even this episode, like, you're clearly going to see Rosalie again, right? So I, I mean, I'm not like a dum-dum. Like I knew that I would probably come back because I'm in the finale and I basically have an open-ended story with this cat now. But, you know, I didn't know if it was just going to be like continuing my reoccurring gig, you know? Like just like coming up to Portland I did not think about the series regular. I did not. I really was mostly like, I'll probably come back for like a reoccurring job, you know, where I just sort of pop in and do my thing. Also, the stuff with Monroe and Rosalie was not really flushed out yet. Mm. They were trying things out, like I could tell the episode with Sebastian, you know, and then like the episode with the egg, you know, there were these moments where like, they were sprinkling in like a curiosity between the characters, but that could have died. I mean, I'd been around the block enough to know that like that gets decided at the top and it's all about like if they're feeling it or not and that could have easily died right that little budding storyline and I was back in LA during that short you know it was pretty you know probably pretty quickly like maybe I'd been home like two or three weeks and yeah no I think I shared this a while back but like I'll never forget that moment I know exactly where I was in my house and Jim and David and I believe Steve Oster called me and said congratulations. And I mean, I had never been asked to be a series regular at that point in my career. So it was huge. And you know, with you, when you booked Superman and Lois, it's like everything happens at once. Mm. Stella was a toddler. I knew I was pregnant at this point. And I live in LA and the show shoots in Portland. I was like, oh my God. Wow. The thing that I've been wanting my whole career, you know, I was a vision board kind of gal and like network, long-running series was at the top of my bucket list as an actress. And and like for it to come at a time when there was such chaos in my personal life, like good chaos, you know, like good stress. But, you know, it's funny how that works. Mm. But I did mention, I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to be very, very pregnant. But they already knew by then
1: they did but i just like felt the need to just like right. reemphasize how large i was going to get cuz the last few months of the pregnancy we were going to be filming beginning of season 2
0: yeah and like pretty big you know but so that short hiatus was in my favor the sooner i went back to work the less pregnant i was going to look
1: it's fun to remember like where were you when?
0: I know, I can still like feel into my body. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, we're gonna have Jim and David on as a special, special wrap up episode because it's like almost too much. It's almost too big. It's almost too big of an episode leading forward of like how much they knew about season two at this point. You know, and also, like, I would love to ask them, like, what getting Mary Elizabeth in the role, you know, they call that stunt casting. Stunt casting is you, like, hire a known face, a known celebrity to come in and, and pop in on, like, a crucial guest character to a series When that took place, like when they got the call that she was going to be the one. And I wonder if like they would have changed the end of the season if, say, she wasn't available, you know, would that script would have looked different and how so? Like, these
1: are good questions to ask our guys. Do you remember how many she ended up doing in total? Probably like at least seven, five to seven. I'll tell you in a second. Yes. Good call. Seven. She had seven episodes. Yeah, nice. Yeah, she was great. Who else was in this episode mm-hmm. that we should give a shout out to? La, la, la. How Brian about our P.I.? Scott Morgan. Scott Michael Morgan
0: coming in with a New York accent with the P.I. Yes. Um, Robert Blanche. I know. It's nice to see him.
1: Yeah, it was really nice. I'm excited to get Greenie and Jim on. How close was everyone at this point? And did we know how popular the show was? Yeah, I think we knew. We just knew it was doing really well. We weren't thinking, oh, it's this massive hit, you know, Grey's Anatomy level. But we weren't the exact perfect time slot for us on Friday nights. And like I said earlier, we were just kind of plugging away, doing a great job in our time slot. We had a really good pairing And I think we all felt pretty solid in where we were and that we were delivering for the network and for the studio, which was universal. Yeah, we're about to hit like a nice stride. And this is where, you know,
0: all these like lifelong friendships are just like being born at this point. It's just so funny. Like, it's really fun. Like now that we're at the end of this season that I have now rewatched every episode of season one. And probably the coolest hit of doing this is watching the discovery of all the deepening of these friendships. Like I just had Silas and Sasha, we just got together the other night and we had sushi and like watched the Lakers game. And, you know, and it's like, who would have known where we'd all be in our lives now, you know, in 2023 when we all met in 2011, 2012. And, I think that's been a real joy Mm rewatching and also like celebrating everyone, you know, like really great work and not just the actors, like the greens department, the lighting, our costumes, our grips, our directors, our sound, our score, like being able to really celebrate everybody this season with the podcast has just been like tremendous.
1: That's a wonderful way to end the podcast for the season. Okay. All right, guys.
0: Well, I mean, shoot. Thank you for everyone listening and listening to all these episodes we've recorded for you guys. And we're just going to have a lot of fun episodes coming up while we record episodes for season two.
1: We're coming back to be continued.
0: Hi, everyone. Rebecca Eisenberg here, producer of The Grimcast. Now that we've wrapped season one, we're going to be taking a short summer break from releasing new episodes. But that doesn't mean we're going away. We still have a ton of fun stuff planned for you. Be sure to check out The Grimcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for behind-the-scenes clips and updates. Also, check us out on YouTube, where we'll be releasing video content. And if you haven't done so already, now is the perfect time to catch up on past episodes and to rate and review the show. It really helps new Grimm fans find us. Thanks for listening and have a great summer.